That's right, and I would go so far as to say that they are important literary works, but not authoritative literary works. So wait, let me let me get this straight. You have two small children, a wife, a job, and you regularly listen to twelve podcasts. Or like with hardcore history, they they drop a four hour episode and then don't expect one for six to twelve months. What does that say about your word the rest of the time? The future belongs to those who control the culture, and the culture belongs to those who control the conversation. So we are having the conversations you wish you could have at church to build a safe and vibrant community. This is the Oz Table Talk Podcast. Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Oz Table Talk. And it has been a long time, but we're doing another 10 questions episode. So I'm at the table with Ben and Dave. Good evening, guys. Evening. Good evening. And how have you guys been? What's news? I've been well, thank you. Oh, wow. How formal <laughs> of you, Dave. <laughs> oh, I have been well, good sir. While saying it, I was trying to think of what was news and I couldn't think of anything. So I was just giving you a response. <laughs> <laughs> What's news is mm-hmm. I cracked a hundred pages today on my assignment. Mm-hmm. Woohoo! I don't know if that's good news or I don't. I don't know what that is. Yeah, I was about to say, is that re- reason for celebration or like you know, do we mourn for the forest that is going to get cut down for that assignment? <laughs> <laughs> it's digital, bro. I'm not writing one hundred pages with a pen <laughs> or multiple pens, probably. But yeah, <laughs> uh-huh. oh, I'm glad I'm not in your shoes. Although. My own learning has been popping up a little bit more of late. I have started my CPA workshops this week, so... How riveting! Actually, I found them very enjoyable so far. (laughs) (laughs) That's Uh, even funnier. Uh, Good for you, Ben. I'm I'm really happy for you. Well, even Luke would actually like one, because one's on advertising and how to get your, your brand and your firm out there. Ah, you see, that would interest me. <laughs> so, it's very relative. It's all up-to-date information. It's There's even a piece of it on the gig economy. I mean, it's it's wonderful content. Wow. Yeah, wow. That's very... I mean, you know, there's one thing that uh, doesn't usually spring to mind about, you know, accountancy workshops of any variety, and mm-hmm. that is modern content. Normally, you would expect to, you know, read case studies from the 1920s, you know. <laughs> well, that's what I'm loving about the latest of the CPA workshops. They've got them all up to date and really, really engaging at the moment. So, I'm, I'm enrolling in a whole bunch and I'm thoroughly enjoying them. <laughs> that's good, man. That's good. What's amusing me the most about this conversation is the level of authority that you're speaking about accountancy, Luke. Like what you would expect to be reading. (laughs) Trouble is, he's not wrong. When I was at uni, some of the theories we were talking about are 30 years old and they were considered the new ones. (laughs) I mean, if you're going to talk about double bookkeeping, that's actually from Venice 500 years ago and we still use it. (laughs) See how good he's getting at ad lib, Ben? <laughs> All this table talk, and he's just making stuff up on the spot about everything now. 
<laughs> well, I actually, I mean, to be fair, at, at, at TAFE, I did take one module of manual accounting a, a very, very, very long time ago. So I, I do have at least a modicum of experience. <laughs> Back in and, the 1930s, eh? <laughs> well, look, to be absolutely honest, my teacher's name was Zara Ratkovich, and Zara was the single best teacher at that entire campus. She, and she had was a- an accounting teacher. And she was engaging, and I can still remember some, like some of the stuff that she said. She had, had a very thick Russian-ish accent. I'm not sure exactly what her background was, but she had this very thick accent, and she was very, very good at communicating the principles. And so, even though I truly and thoroughly hated every stick of that subject, <laughs> I really enjoyed her teachings. <laughs> but I do remember thinking about the examples of like, man, like I wasn't even born when that stuff was happening. <laughs> I pity your experience at TAFE, bro. (laughs) That was the highlight. That was. It was. I am not kidding. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, we digress. What are we talking about? Ten questions. Mm -hmm. Ten questions. Yeah, we're actually talking about a lot of stuff, right? (laughs) And question number one is, Mm -hmm. what did Luke study? No, just kidding. (laughs) Do you actually want me to ask the question? Well, I thought you were, so I backed off. Go for it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I feel like I'm in uncharted territories taking the lead role for a moment. How many Bibles do you own, and what is your favorite translation? My answer to that is probably less than Ben, and (laughs) my favorite... (laughs) Realistically, I've probably got about five Bibles that have been my personal Bible through the years, right? But on top of that, as far as like Bibles that I found to be interesting, that I've picked up either at secondhand shops or, you know, whatever, whatever the answer may be, I've probably got... Another half a dozen on top of that. So I reckon 10 to 12 Bibles probably. As for my favorite translation, my my normal Bible that I use as a daily reader, so to speak, that I will preach out of or teach out of is New King James Version. I like that it's because it's well primarily what I'm used to, but I like the modernization of the language. I think it's done a fairly good job of modernizing the, the Old King James. Mm-hmm. But... I'll give a bonus answer here, and that is I'm actually really, really enjoying the uh, NLT for narrative portions of Scripture. I think it does a really good job of communicating the the narrative elements and qualities that you don't see in more literal translations. Mm Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, I think we should leave Ben for last, so there's a crescendo for the question. (laughs) I looked on my bookshelf, and I have 14 Bibles in my possession. Mm-hmm. Um, I will clarify that by saying some of several of them are just childhood Bibles that I have not had the heart to throw away. So they're not all ones that I would turn to on a regular basis. As far as favorite translations go, I, I don't really have a favorite translation. My favorite practice with translations is to actually um, split screen compare the translations. Mm-hmm. So on a Bible app, whether it be on online using biblehub.com or using eSword or something like that. I like mm. to, to view them all in split screens and, and just compare them myself. And for me, the value in doing that is is by you get a different mental picture mm-hmm. um, with each different synonym, right? And so especially when you're reading, say, the poetry of, of the Psalms or of Isaiah or something like that, I find the different translations open up a, a new avenue of mental picture mm. and so a new way to, to frame the text mm-hmm. in a way that could be meaningful to you. And so sometimes you might be reading through in your, as you called it, Luke, old King James version. 
Mm-hmm. I think it's so funny that we refer to him as the old king. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyways, you might be reading through it in the King James Version and it might be the, the meaning might be escaping you, for example, and you might not be getting very much out of it. And then you might be comparing that with a translation like it could be something even older or it could be something um, much, much more modern. And it just opens up a, a new avenue for you to explore the text. And so I, I appreciate that. So I'm not going to give a solid answer. I'm just going to say I like to compare. Mm-hmm. Yep, I actually do the same thing. I'll often have uh, King James open with a NIV, and I also have my Strong sitting there as well, so that I can look up individual words if I need to. And just for clarity, these are all paperbacks, am I correct? No, I mostly um, do most of my study with digitals. However, I do have a big, big collection of physical books, and I do actually do some of my study out of that. I even have a paperback Strong sitting back there. I somewhere between 30 and 40 Bibles. I will admit three of those are childhood um, Bibles. And I've got... Three of them. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) But I've got all sorts. I particularly like collecting um, reproductions of Reformation Bibles, my favorite of which is the Tyndall Second Edition New Testament, or otherwise known as the Plowboy Edition, because his aim was um, for a plowboy to even understand the Bible. Nice. Mm. It's, cool. it's quite fitting that Ben enjoys the old Bibles after our conversation just previous about accounting. <laughs> <laughs> anything too modern, he probably wouldn't understand it because he's not used to reading that kind of text. Mm-hmm. I know anything newer than like Middle English and he's out of his depth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anything, anything that's been written in the last hundred years, it's just, it's too fresh. And by the way, I don't think you added enough bigs when you were describing your collection of books, by the way, Ben. I think more than two bigs was necessary. (laughs) Yeah. Just something that you both mentioned, children's Bibles. I have the, the first Bible that I remember reading, and it is a special edition Adventures in Odyssey Bible. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah, so I don't know what, if, if that means anything to you guys that are listening, but for those who were indoctrinated into the <laughs> Adventures in Odyssey franchise, it was a very cool thing. <laughs> yeah. I can't say I've ever read anything of the kind, but I do, do remember seeing the the video versions. Yeah, Adventures, yeah. Adventures well, it had like probably like four or five spots in the Bible. There were like little breaks wh- where there was um, like comic book versions of the Odyssey stories. Uh-huh. So. Yeah. So I'll, when I'll... you were doing your morning devotions, were you taking a sneak peek? Absolutely. Ah, <laughs> Probably more old, than a sneak. Yeah. The old cartoon book in the Atlas. That's right. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, that's uh, that. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. So let's do question two. Question two was why uh, why were their books kept out of the Bible, like Enoch or the Gospel of Thomas, etc. <laughs> Oh, dear. I don't know why, but my first thought was because it was rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, that's not necessarily true. So just, I want to take that back. Okay. <laughs> so if the history of it is a lot of these, uh, so you've got your Apocrypha, like um, the book of Enoch and everything that was written between the times of the New and the Old Testament. But however, you also have things like the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Mary, the even the Gospel of um, Judas. And they were written in Alexandria um, after the fact as well. And it's it's a questioning of the authors themselves. The general rule that I understand that the Bible, the people who put the canon together, although it was already regularly accepted by the end of the first century, 
was a case of you start with the books of Moses and the books from actual prophets would usually be added and they would have to agree with the um, the five books of from the five books of Moses. Yeah. And if they didn't agree with it, you know, it's a kind of a case of agree and expand. And if they contradicted, they would often throw them out because if it's the divine word, there shouldn't be a contradiction, which is kind of funny for us to say in the modern times because often we misunderstand things and go, isn't this a contradiction? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually have a compilation here, the books of Enoch, Jubilees, and Jasher. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was gifted to me, and the person who gifted it to me believes wholeheartedly that they should have been included in canon. I tried to you know, explore it as best I could, and I figured the best way for me to do that is to read it. You know, I, I don't like to <laughs> just throw things out without giving them due consideration, and I read the book, and... I was so astounded by how different it was from scripture, you know, mm. as as far as the content, the even the basic principles upon which God operates is, is very very different in those books. And mm. like you were mentioning Ben, you know, they're primarily um pseudonyms, right? So, you know, they're, they're not the people that were actually supposed to be writing them. And so like from a basically that you're starting from a point of deception. They're being mm-hmm. written under pen names of Bible characters. So there's a lot of problems with them. Yeah, they're not internally consistent either. So um, yeah, I, I if you've actually read those documents and as you say, you know, if you're willing to do the digging, you find out that they're not written by who they're supposed to be written by and they are also out of harmony with what's in the rest of scripture. So we can safely chuck them out basically. Yeah. Mm. Not to say that everything in them is a bunch of rubbish, uh, no. but that they didn't fit the criteria for what was considered to be um, inspired works worthy of the canon. That's right. And I would go so far as to say that they are important literary works, mm-hmm. but not authoritative literary works. So I think they're very helpful, particular, particularly to understanding the intertestamental period, how... Uh, how the Jews understood scripture. I think there's a lot of value in that perspective because, mm-hmm. yeah, as an example, um, the book of Jude quotes the book of Enoch. And so there we have, uh, you know, mm. something from the canon of scripture quoting something from a false work. That's not to say that it, it is throwing it out. That's obviously, you know, under inspiration, he's utilizing something that was in the common understanding of the people because those books were well circulated in the Jewish communities of the time. So um, it's, yeah, it's a useful thing, but not useful if you're looking at it as as the Bible, so to speak. Yeah. So so maybe you could compare them to uh, listening to what you're saying. Maybe you could compare them to like an autobiography potentially. Like it's not as factual as it would have been coming from the person. Uh, whose story it is telling, but in a lot of ways there is uh, a perspective there that you know could be seen as, I, I guess, reaching for the truth of the person. Yeah, or at least a desire to in 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 some way. You know? <laughs> okay, I get it. I'm being too generous. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, I actually <laughs> just turned this open to a page. Would you like me to read you one verse? I'm going to anyway. So, <laughs> um, where is it? So, so. And Azazel, which that's the name of the goat in the sanctuary service, right, which is attributed to Satan. 
And Azazel taught men to make swords and knives and shields and breastplates, and made known to them the metals of the earth and the art of working them, and bracelets and ornaments, and the use of antimony and beautifying of the eyelids, and all kinds of costly stones. And then it, it goes on to talk about all these benevolent things that uh, Azazel did for... Uh, for the people of earth. And verse 7 says, And the whole earth had been corrupted through the works that were taught by him and to ascribe all sin. And then Gabriel said to the Lord, Proceed against them to destroy them. And it's sort of so it's sort of telling it from that perspective, which of course they couldn't have known at the time, but then it goes on and, and it sort of inverts the positions of God and Satan as to what their motives were. And I, I think there's a lot of a lot of dangerous things in there. But mm. um, yeah, anyway, just pointing that out that yeah, let's not be too generous in the accuracy, but we can certainly learn about the people who authored them even if we don't know who they are by name. Yeah. They're interesting pieces of history. Yeah. Yeah. And an exploration of the mythology of the time. Mm-hmm. All right, well, we're on the theme of thorny Bible peoples. Hmm. Who was Melchizedek? At, at the risk of jumping in too often, uh, I was actually reading a, a book recently and uh, it was talking about Melchizedek because he was king of Salem and Salem was essentially a Canaanite tribe. And the interesting thing is we see him as being connected with uh, with God and, you know, being a... Uh, a person that Abraham paid tithes to. So in some way he was superior, uh, spiritually superior to Abraham. Mm. And the interesting thing is all we're told is that he was the king of Salem. And so we don't have much more to go on than that. Aside from the fact we're from what we can tell Salem was a Canaanite tribe. So I don't know. Do you guys want to elaborate on that further? Uh, Is it in Hebrews that um, he's also referred to as the king of peace? Yes. Mm. So, which Salem is peace, right? So, king of Salem meaning king of peace. Yeah. And it, all, it also refers to him as, you know, when it's talking about Jesus being a, a priest under the order of Melchizedek, it talks about him as having, uh, you know, no one knows where he comes from uh, and that he, what's, what's the other thing it says about him? I think it uh, says not, he's undying, doesn't it? Yeah, it says, don't know his beginning or his end. Yeah. So, the the question then becomes, is that just because we don't know, like, as in people are ignorant of where he came from and whether he lived or died, or was this Melchizedek uh, figure an actual supernatural figure that didn't have a beginning or an end and so was therefore an expression of God on earth? Yeah, and and it's quite likely or quite possible, or mm. maybe I just scrap those both and say it's quite possible that Melchizedek is, is employed as a figure in the book mm. of Hebrews by Paul, mm. but Melchizedek in Genesis was in fact a real person. Mm. I don't know the answer to any of these questions, but it's quite possible that that's the way Paul was using Melchizedek as kind of like a, a literary device, if you like, um, mm. to to kind of bolster his point in the book of Hebrews. Uh, it's also quite possible that he was, like you said, uh, somehow a, a figure that was, um, it was really God, but manifesting himself as a priest. So, yeah, I, I don't think we can know, and I don't think it matters. No, mm. I agree with that. Agree. Yeah, there's just not enough information there. All right, well, that was easy. Question four. <laughs> what is another podcast you would recommend? Hmm. There's too many. <laughs> <laughs> there's too many. Wow. Like the awkward silence. Yeah. Tell me that's I, I, because you have too many options, not because you don't have any options. Yeah, yeah. it definitely is more having too many options. So, in the like in the Christian space, you know, I can definitely... 
definitely recommend some of the other, you know, popular ones out there. The uh, I, Catalina's <laughs> podcast, like, you know, the Connected Adventist podcast is great. Uh, I really like why they did that. That's a really well put together podcast that I, that I definitely recommend. Outside of the the spiritual uh, categories of podcasts, I love history podcasts. So um, I, I would, de- if you like history, I definitely recommend listening to Hardcore History by Dan Carlin. That that's brilliant. In the in the world of business podcasts, Tim Ferriss, Noah Kagan, both of those guys have r- really quality value podcasts. And if you're into general listening, um, that as far as like journalism, that sort of that sort of thing, I, I would recommend. Slow Burn, Invisibilia, like some any of those big NPR-based podcasts are always really high quality. So, can I just ask you a question? How many of these do you actually listen to? All you of them. You just listed like twelve. <laughs> All of them. <laughs> okay. So wait, prob- let me let me get this straight. You have two small children, a wife, <laughs> a job, and you regularly listen to twelve podcasts. All right, I, I, as well I as to- creating your own. <laughs> To be fair, I only started listening to all those podcasts because I wanted to learn what they were doing well, and so we could serve our audience better. So that's where that started. I don't listen to every episode of every podcast, uh, but there are some podcasts, like Slow Burn as an example, that are seasonal, right? So they'll release Mm -hmm. eight episodes or whatever it is, and then they disappear for a few months. So... um, Keeping up with those isn't really that challenging. Or like with yeah. Hardcore History, they, they drop a four-hour episode and then don't expect one for six to 12 months. That's exactly right. That, that's another good example. I, I should also uh, make mention of the the Moonshot podcast because that, that's another really good Australian podcast, which is about people that have gone for moonshots, right? Like, you know, people that have scaled amazing things onto worldwide space. And uh, Christopher Lawson, who who creates that podcast, does a, a great job. So, Chris, if you're ever listening, you know, you do awesome. Great. And so, w- once we finish listening to all of those, what should we do in our spare time, <laughs> 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 well, to be uh, fair, like I, I listen to podcasts when I drive, when I run, when I clean, when I cook, and so you know if you if you do that, it doesn't take long to chew through for you. So. He does a lot of driving, running, cleaning, and cooking, guys. <laughs> All right, <laughs> sorry, I'm just making fun of you. All right, now next uh, for me, I don't listen to a lot of podcasts at the moment. I'm more into audiobooks. Mm-hmm. I do that too. <laughs> <laughs> y- you can stop. You've said enough. <laughs> I, I just wanted to mention a couple of podcasts that you didn't mention, though, which definitely deserve one, and that is Marcus Torres's podcast, um, oh, yes. Story Church Project. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, yes. I haven't actually listened to Marcus for quite a long time, I must confess, but he has some really good content, really good thinker. Um, mm. So, if you're particularly if you're a Seventh-day Adventist, that podcast is really good. I also enjoy listening to uh, the Ideas Digest podcast. Oh, yes. Um, Mostly because I, I like the way that they entertain the humanity of an idea, whether or not they uh, agree with it. And I, I feel like we should all develop the habit of doing that so that when we're in conversation with people, we don't, we're not jumping to conclusions, making judgments, coming up with arguments, but we're just really literally hearing the person out. And then there's a couple of podcasts that I listen to around running, but that's very intermittent, so... Yeah, that's probably what I would say for podcasts. And then, of course, you know, you should listen to ours. Otherwise, 
there will be consequences. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad they won't know if they're not listening. <laughs> Have uh, we missed anything, Ben? I, I haven't been actually listening as much of late, but um, I've been listening to a little bit of hardcore history because... I'm slowly chewing through everything he's he's sent out. I actually have listened to a little bit of um, Tim Ferriss's um, stuff because I was looking. Tiff wanted us to sit down and listen to a podcast, so I was looking for one for us to sit down. We actually settled on. Um, I, she actually found one. I can't remember what it's called, but it's it retells the story of Troy. Oh wow! Oh, okay. okay. So um, how would you describe? How would you describe the Tim Ferriss show, Ben? Well, Tiff didn't like the length of his ads. <laughs> yeah. But I, I quite long. enjoyed it. Um, I listened to a little bit of his interviews, and um, I think he's, he, he does a good job there. So, yeah, Basically, yeah. he's all about deconstructing world-class performers to find their tips and tricks that can help you in your life, basically. That's what he says at the beginning of every episode. So. <laughs> yeah, I was going to yeah. say, he's like Luke with an American accent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh. We should move on, eh? Question five. Question five. So, should we swear on the Bible in court? And th- this is based on Matthew chapter five. So, um, just so we've got a little bit of context, so we know what we're talking about. I'm just going to turn that up. So, while you're turning that up, the context for Matthew chapter five is this is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, where he's taking his listeners through a rewalk, if you like, of the the Old Testament way of uh, approaching life. And reframing that for them. So Matthew chapter five, verse uh, verse thirty, uh, starting in thirty three, it says, "Again, you have heard that it was said of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is His footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great King. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black." But let your yes be yes, and your no be no. For whatever is more than this is from the evil one. Obviously, people take that and they apply it directly and literally to the fact that we should never swear upon anything, even if it's a Bible. And to be honest, I have been uh, called to court uh, as a witness in the past. And at that point of my experience, that was my interpretation of that passage. And uh, and I requested not, not to swear on a Bible. So what, what are you... Do they you still let you think? testify? Yeah, yeah. It's actually they have a process for people who refuse to. Apparently, it's not that uncommon. So, um, particularly okay. if if people are atheistic or from another world religion or something like that, they would prefer not to. And so they just say, "Turn the card over." On the other side of the card, it it, it says, "You know, I solemnly affirm that I will give you know accurate information or ho- however they phrase it." But basically, it's just you promising that you will be truthful. So okay. So I think, first of all, the the Bible doesn't reference court in the passage that no. Jesus is where Jesus is speaking. So obviously, it's not it's not like a direct application of the text. Mm-hmm. Yes. What were you going to say, Ben? Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, I was just going to say I've actually sworn both ways as well. I've sworn on, and I've done the atheist version as well. Because every time you get something done by JP. Well, at least when I went to get the one done last time, they want you to swear um, accuracy on something. I can't remember why, but yeah. So I think what Jesus is trying to say, if you if you read the text in its context, I think what Jesus is getting at is that we should mean what we say. Yeah. So if we if you're going to make a promise, 
uh, make it something that you can keep. But don't don't swear to do something that you don't know if you can do. And I think specifically in the context of our commitments to God, Jesus is trying to encourage us not to say to God, oh, I swear I'll do better next time hmm. and then go and break our commitment. Hmm. He hmm. says, just be real with me. Just be honest with me. I, th- I think we would we would be... We would have a whole lot less guilt and shame if we lived our lives in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And ultimately, if you swear on something in order to communicate the fact that you promise you will do this or tell the truth or whatever it may be, what does that say about your word the rest of the time? That it's not true. Yeah, that that, that it's it's fallible, that it, it, it's got... You know, there's a fairly high likelihood that you're not going to be telling them the truth, right? If you need to swear on something in order for people to believe you. I've never thought about that before, but that is kind of strange, isn't it? <laughs> mm. No, no, I promise you, this time I'm telling yeah. you the truth. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Everything else I've ever said, rubbish. But now, yeah. this is yeah. true. Mm. <laughs> so, it, it really is, an, it's a statement of integrity. That, yeah. I think that's mm-hmm. what we're boiling it down to, that Jesus is making a, making a, a point about having integrity in our lives. Mm-hmm. And, and if you read the passage, he's not just talking about your words either, is he? You know, the no. whole passage is about integrity. Yes. It's just one little aspect of it. So, he's saying, mm-hmm. have integrity with your actions. And then have integrity with with your words, um, and then you'll be all sweet. <laughs> no need to make promises that you can't keep. So, actually, guys, let's just stop there for a second because we've already been going like a really long time. We were supposed to do ten the ten questions, and we're at five, but we're already like at a standard episode length. So. Let's just let's just cool it there, and we are going to come back next week with the remainder of the questions. How does that sound to you guys? Well, it sounds fine, but you realise it's because you recommended twelve podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Someone out there will appreciate those recommendations <laughs> and listen to yeah, yeah, all of fine. them. Yes. yes, you must listen to all of them, including the backlog, before next Tuesday. But only while they're driving, running, cooking, and what was the other one? Cleaning. <laughs> Something like that. Uh, well, by the way, the really funny thing about that, Dave, is that ever, ever since you said that, that I must do that for a lot, I'm like, I work from home. I hardly ever drive anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. All right. We're going to leave it there. Uh, we will catch you guys next week for the remainder of these five questions. We will see you there. And that's the end of another episode. Just before I head off, I want to encourage you to go over to our page on Facebook and also our account on Instagram and follow us there because that is where we interact with our listeners and we would love for you to enter in and join the conversation. Also, while you're signing up, I would also recommend signing up to our mailing list on our website, oztabletalk.com.au. If you do that, you will receive our exclusive content because occasionally we do release exclusives and they only go out to our mailing list so i would strongly recommend you go and sign up for that if you have a few more minutes to be one of the most amazing listeners on the planet you can go over to itunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review because reviews help us to grow and they help other people to find us so if you want to help us reach those goals please jump in and give us a review The final message that I'd like to leave you with is to let you know about our Patreon account. Now, 
Patreon is a way for creators to get paid for creating. And ultimately what we do does cost money to get us hosted and have the services that we need to run the podcast. And so if you'd like to help us do that, jump over onto patreon.com slash oztabletalk and you can you can give anything from even a dollar a month upwards. But at different levels, there are different benefits, different rewards that we want to give you just to say thank you for being an amazing supporter of ours. If you can't afford that, we would just gratefully accept your prayers because that is what our ministry runs on. And so with that, I will leave you to your day and thank you so much for listening to this episode. We look forward to seeing you guys next week.